0: Please be seated. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Psalm four. The text is also printed on the next page of the bulletin for you, Psalm four. and then uh, usually at this point we've been dismissing the children to go to children's chapel, but we're um, not doing that anymore. and uh, so if you're a little kid in here, we're really glad that you're in here with us for the whole service, um, especially me because when I look out there, Uh, It's like twice as big now, (laughs) because there's so many of you, so many little heads. Um, We're really glad you're here, Um, but if you make any noise, we're not going to be glad you're here. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You just be yourselves, okay? We like you, just like you are. Um, Okay, so Psalm 4. This is our last week in the Psalms for uh, a little while, anyway, uh, as next week we're going to start the new series on the Lord's Prayer, and... um, if you uh, were paying attention during the offering, uh, uh, Kristen sang a song uh, based on the Lord's Prayer that I think we're going to maybe sing next week or a couple times over the course of the series. Um, so that song was uh, put to music by Matthew Curl, which is uh, actually, if you look through several of the songs, like the ones we just did, um, uh, Matthew Curl arranged that. And he's the uh, kind of chief musician at our sister church in, in downtown Portland, in town. Presbyterian and if you go to intownchurch.com and click on Sundays and click on music it's pretty easy to find you can find that song and several others uh, lots of them that we sing uh, you can find the song on the Lord's Prayer and sing it at home uh, it's a very easy uh, song to memorize because probably most of you have memorized the Lord's Prayer already um, and and children again I'll talk to you um, as we start Sunday school over the next few weeks um, I think one of the things you're going to be tested on is uh, whether you know the Lord's Prayer. You'll be taught, you'll, uh, be taught to, to recite that and memorize that and use that for your prayers. So uh, you could start working on it early and uh, impress your teachers with the fact that you know the Lord's Prayer. So um, really what we've done already as we've gone through the Psalms for the last few weeks is started a series on prayer. Um, we started that series early in advance of the Lord's Prayer uh, since the Psalms are both praises and prayers to God and this this prayer, uh, Psalm 4 is actually quite similar to Psalm 3, which we looked at last week. Uh, so similar, in fact, that at first I thought I would skip it and just do Psalm 5. Uh, but on closer inspection, there is a significant enough difference to warrant our treating it uh, separately. Uh, both psalms are about how we respond to the accusations of our enemies. Right? Both uh, Psalm 3 and 4 about how we respond to the accusations of our enemies. But Psalm 3 is about how we respond when our enemies' accusations might be true. And Psalm 4, uh, which we're going to look at today, is about when their accusations are false, when they're groundless. Uh, John Calvin said that nothing is more painful to us than to be falsely condemned and to endure wrongful violence and slander. And this psalm uh, is an expression of that pain, of that frustration, and it's a prayer from the place of that pain. So, uh, and not only that, um, as an expression of that pain, not only that, uh, this psalm also gives us comfort and instruction to help us when our en- enemies, uh, those who are set against us, uh, falsely accuse us. So let's pray and then we'll read Psalm 4. Father, we ask for your help as we come to your word. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would quicken our hearts and our minds to be able to receive your word and to be changed by it into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, last week, Psalm 3, when enemies accuse us uh, and their accusations are probably just. You remember the situation David was probably writing from. um, David, his son Absalom, uh, the whole family feud um, that uh, had David running for his life from his own son because of the sin um, of his family members and the fact that David didn't confront that. uh, And he had people taunting him. Uh, Those those taunts, those accusations were probably true because all of this pain was brought down on him um, uh, because of uh, his own failure in his family, his own failure to um, uh, live by God's word uh, with regard to his family. So in that psalm, their their accusations were probably just. This week, the taunts are lies. Um, Verse 2. O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So, it's hard to pinpoint when this may have happened in David's life, but uh, you know, it really could have taken place at so many points in David's life. Historical context for this one is not really necessary. It's not given to us in the the title of the sermon. Uh, I mean, uh, of the psalm uh, to the choirmaster with stringed instruments. Uh, that just means that when you guys play this psalm you make sure the guitar is present um but uh, it's it's not really necessary for us to pinpoint when this happened in david's life we all know what it's like to have false accusations against us right you've probably been wronged at some point in your life by the uh, the rumors that others have spread someone has probably accused you at some point of some uh, sin that you didn't commit maybe you even know who did commit that sin uh, but you didn't do it, and they accused you of it. A boss may have developed uh, some dislike for you and spread unwarranted rumors about you. Uh, maybe someone at home has accused you of abuse. Maybe someone in your workplace has accused you of harassment. Um, or maybe someone's even called you evil when you are doing good, right? It's not just that you uh, weren't to blame for whatever it was that happened. It's that you were actually doing good. You were, uh, you were righteous, and... Uh, someone's calling you evil for that righteousness. Maybe some busybody uh, may have threatened to call child protective services because you spoke in public about disciplining your children. Uh, had a friend that, that happened to uh, once, um, or maybe you've uh, even been the target of persecution for your faith, right? On that um, on that very rare occasion, we can actually be quite undeserving of the grief and the distress that our enemies can cause us by their words. We may, have not, uh, we may have done nothing at all to make them our enemies. It may seem like an entirely irrational enmity, but sometimes, once in a blue moon, uh, it actually happens. Uh, false accusations are painful, as Calvin said. So what do you do when someone uh, says something or does something that wrongly damages your reputation or attacks your honor? My bet is that if you're anything like me, you get rabidly defensive. Right? Um, when someone falsely accuses me of something, I set them straight. Uh, I stand up and shout out, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. I deserve good here, not evil. Give me what I deserve and I'll talk myself blue in the face, uh, trying to convince them of that. Or at least I imagine having this conversation and it being successful. Right? Um, the pain of the false accusation is too great. It stung me just it too much to just let it drop. Just let it lie. Um, in fact, it's it's uh, it's really just an instinctive reflex that I have to get defensive. It, uh, I do it before I think. It's like knee-jerk reaction. Um, you know what I mean? At all? I'm just the only one that's like that. Um, do you feel kind of gross when you get defensive? I I feel kind of gross when I realize that I've been getting defensive. Why do we get defensive? Uh, you know, I think it's because we've blurred the line between having a clear conscience and self-righteousness. All right? Maybe just maybe that enemy falsely accused you. Their accusations are false. Maybe. Uh, and you really do have a clear conscience about whatever it is that they're taunting you about. Uh, But the pain of that blows all out of proportion and pushes you to get defensive, maybe sometimes to respond with venom or vengeance, uh, when you sense that your reputation, your righteousness is threatened, and when you care too much about your honor being turned into shame. Uh, what's really important is how the person thinks of me or how I imagine maybe that person thinks of me. And I can't stand to have anyone think evil of me, especially when what they think isn't true. We do it when what they think is true, right? It's all the worse when um, what they think isn't true. So the problem of false accusations is painful, but it's exacerbated when our own sense of, Of righteousness is under attack, and when it's crucial to us that that sense of righteousness be intact or even be exalted. When someone threatens what's most precious to us, we strike out, we lash out in defense. But Jesus, when he was falsely accused, um, didn't get defensive, did he? It says in Matthew 26, now the the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony. They were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Many false witnesses came forward. They didn't find false testimony because at least two witnesses had to agree for it to be legitimate, right? At last, two came forward. And said, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. This, uh, this lack of defensiveness it hardly makes any sense to us. We look at Jesus' absolute silence in the face of certain death by false witness and, um, and we wish we could yell at him, get up and defend yourself, you're innocent. Let those liars have it. But we need to discover that Jesus is worthy of our imitation here, and this kind of response that he offers to these false accusations is really what David's advocating in our psalm. <clears throat> and in fact, it's not just our Savior who demonstrates this for us in the Bible. Many of the saints um, respond to false accusations with silence at least not getting defensive Joseph doesn't defend himself when Potiphar's wife accuses him of an attempted rape that he didn't commit Stephen the martyr doesn't defend himself when the crowd goes berserk and stones him for offending against their religion there's a sense in which Paul uh, sometimes defends his apostleship His office, but he doesn't get defensive. In fact, he teaches us that he doesn't even judge himself. As we read in our New Testament reading, his enemies in Corinth uh, tore him down in his absence in order to exalt themselves. They sought to turn his honor into shame, and this was his response, as we read earlier. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. So the truth is, people should think of me as a good, humble servant of Christ. I've got a clear conscience about that. My reputation should align with that. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. What? I mean, It's a big deal when I feel judged by people, especially by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And that seems like um, this is the key, it's the secret. It says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. What Paul is saying here reflects David's psalm and his prayer. He has traded in His self-judgment for God's judgment. Even though he is perhaps innocent and deserves a better reputation, he has stopped trying to assess himself by the sense that he has of his own righteousness. Instead, he clings to the only assessment that truly matters, and that's God's. And that's where he finds peace. Because our peace is lost when we are absorbed with thoughts of our enemies and what they think of us and our reputation in the sight of other people, right? Surely you've been there lying on your bed at night, fixated on some wrong that you have suffered to your reputation, uh, some slight to your reputation. Thoughts of revenge against injustices that we've received consume us. Playing those tapes in our minds over and over again, uh, perfecting in our imaginations how we can convince our enemies that we're righteous and they're evil. for falsely accusing us. That happens when we are preoccupied with defending our righteousness, which is self-justification, which the Bible plainly calls uh, sin. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry at false accusations, but we're not supposed to sin and be self-justifying. So how do we do that? How do we absorb false accusations that are made against us without retaliation without even the thoughts of retaliation or defensiveness consuming us and the answer is scattered throughout our psalm first the psalm is a prayer remember first uh, the first verse answer me when i call O god of my righteousness you have given me relief when i was in distress be gracious to me and hear my prayer." So David's heart is crying out to God for relief from this torment, the false accusations, right? From this and from many other psalms we learn it's okay to express your torment to God. John Calvin said again, David David's heart was not of such an iron mold as to prevent him from being cast into deep mental anguish by adversity. Being godly doesn't mean being stoic. David calls out for God to hear his prayer and answer his prayer. And notice uh, how he addresses God as the God of his righteousness. Any righteousness that David has, he attributes to God alone. And God is the one who defends his righteousness, who vindicates David. And ultimately, our vindication is, is not found in our own righteousness, not in what we do or who we are. It's in Jesus Christ. If your faith is in him, then his perfect spotless record counts for you. His righteousness counts for you. And the fact that God raised him from the dead, vindicating him in front of all of his enemies, means that God will also vindicate you at your resurrection, at the resurrection of the righteous, to glory. God's vindication is far, far better than our own self-justification, than our own defensiveness. And notice that David doesn't ask the God of his righteousness, this just and righteous God, to do what is only just and right and give him what he deserves. He petitions God to be gracious to him. He knows he doesn't really deserve the vindication of God In the face of his enemies, he begs God to give it to him by his grace. Yahweh, the Lord, is the God of your righteousness. By his grace, you are assessed as righteous in his sight through the sacrifice of his son. This is a judgment made concerning you that you didn't deserve. It's a judgment made concerning you that no enemy's accusations, false or otherwise, can assault, can't even touch. And David throws that back in his enemies' faces. How long will you dishonor me and seek after lies? But know that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. When the Bible says that you shouldn't get defensive, um, this is not just a, kind of a, a cover-up enabling you to continue being a coward. Non confrontational, right? Um, and letting people walk all over you without challenging them. David addresses his enemies and he calls them to change their ways. How long are you going to keep doing that? You know God's got my back, right? And he encourages himself with the knowledge of the result. Of God's favoring him. Yahweh is the God of his righteousness, the one who is gracious to him, who listens to his prayers and answers. Yahweh has set him apart for himself, for a relationship with himself. Derek Kidner says, God's choice of someone for fellowship for himself is the ultimate answer to the most wounding of aspersions and discouragements. God has freely set his favor on David, freely set him apart for his love. Yahweh's got his back. So what does it matter what his enemies think of him? He shouldn't trouble himself over it. He shouldn't lose sleep over it because he's fuming mad about his reputation being discredited. And David encourages all those who are godly to imitate him. He says in verses 4 and 5, Be angry and do not sin. Paul quotes in Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in... Not your own clear conscience. Not your own righteousness. Put your trust in the Lord. Direct your worship to the Lord. Your meditation, your prayer your thoughts to God rather than stewing on the false accusations and the self-justification and the defensiveness, right? The cry of your heart may be like it is in verse 6. Fix this. Who's going to show me some good here? Fix this, God. If we've done nothing wrong, vindicate us. Bless us. Show us some good. Turn our lives around here. But ultimately, you need to rest in the assurance that your greatest delight Your deepest need, the thing that fills your soul, it's all fulfilled in the joy of your salvation, in the indomitable joy of eternal vindication by God. John Piper says um, you have to let false criticisms and false accusations uh, slide off you like water off a duck's back. How do you do that? Ultimately, the answer is found in the gospel. How can you pray Psalm 4 as a Christian with effectiveness? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may be familiar with him, a German theologian and pastor during World War II, um, wrote this little, little tiny book. It's a great book called uh, Psalms, the Prayer Book of the Bible. Kind of an introduction to the Psalms. Um, He says this, How is it possible for a man and Jesus Christ to pray the psalter together. It is the incarnate Son of God who has borne every human weakness in his own flesh, who here pours out the heart of all humanity before God and who stands in our place and prays for us. He has known torment and pain, guilt and death more deeply than we. Therefore, it is the prayer of the human nature assumed by him which comes here before God. It is really our prayer. But since he knows us better than we know ourselves, and since he himself was true man for our sakes, it is also really his prayer. And it can become our prayer only because it was his prayer. So Hebrews 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was, tor- uh, was sorely tempted to defend himself before his accusers, to justify himself before the Sanhedrin. He was the perfect son of God. He was the perfect human who never sinned. And yet they falsely accused him of all sorts of evils and blasphemies. Can you imagine the temptation to strike back at those enemies and the power that he had to be able to strike back at his enemies? It says in Isaiah chapter 50, I wasn't rebellious, I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. God vindicated Jesus at his resurrection. By raising him from the dead, God declared, this is my righteous son. And now Jesus, our great high priest, lives forever to pray for us. And he can perfectly pray Psalm 4 for us and teaches us to pray it as well by teaching us to trust in him. In his care and protection in God's opinion of us, over and above our opinions of ourselves, to trust in our reputation in God's sight as won by Christ's own perfect obedience. Although we might be destitute of all other things in this world, including a fair reputation in the eyes of other people, we've been given God's full fatherly acceptance by faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore we have every reason for full joy and peace in the face of any false accusation or wrongs that we may suffer you don't need to seek for revenge or for self-justification you don't need to get defensive when you just don't care about your reputation anymore because you are absolutely overwhelmed with the glory of Christ and his reputation satisfies you the reputation has been freely credited to you as you put your faith in him so give up defending your own honor as if that really got you anywhere in the first place. Put your trust in the Lord, the God of your righteousness, and you will find real peace. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, it seems like we can meditate on your word day and night. And unless you are with us, and open our hearts by your spirit. It makes no difference. And so we pray that uh, by your spirit, you would take this word and plunge it deep into our souls. That you would help us to be the kind of people who don't care for our own reputation, our own righteousness, our own honor, but who are so captivated by your perfections and your righteousness which are freely placed on us that we respond to any accusation in peace and with joy that can't be shaken. We pray that you would help us to learn better how to deal with our enemies as Jesus dealt with his enemies. We pray that you would guard our hearts from the venom of vengeance and self-justification. We pray this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his kingdom going forth in this world. Amen.